Welcome to Bulldogs Over Coffee, the first podcast series presented by the UNC Asheville Bulldogs in conjunction with the Bulldog Athletic Association. This audio podcast has been created to tell our story. Twice a month, we will put out a different story told by an individual who is invested in by the UNC Asheville Bulldogs. The moderator for the podcast will be Dan Freeman, Assistant Director of Athletic Advancement and Alumni Engagement, assisted by Mark Godin, the Director of Multimedia. So, Rachel, really, I, uh, I just want to learn a bit, little bit more about you for our podcast, and I was hoping that we could just start off from the beginning. You could tell me a little bit about why you chose UNC Asheville. What was it that drew you to Asheville, North Carolina? Um, well, initially, it was definitely the tennis program that I came up there on a recruiting visit in the fall, and I was taking a year off between high school and college in order to train more, and they contacted me around November, around Thanksgiving. I came up and visited, and I was so captured by the school and the mountains and Asheville in general. I actually started that spring of 2005. Okay, and you know, it's interesting you made that comment. So you took a year off. So talk to us about what that year off between high school and college was like and why you felt that you needed to have that year to kind of gather yourself or what it was for. Um, It was really for... In order to train more with tennis, I was very much wanted to play at a Division One school, and I didn't start getting competitive with uh, tennis and athletics until pretty late into high school. And so my, and I also graduated high school when I was 17, so I had time where I could still compete at a high level in the juniors through that year, and we just thought that. Um, the extra training and time would be beneficial to me. And so I did a lot of coaching that year with, like, the kids' programs and worked in the tennis pro shop um, in Atlanta, stringing rackets and all that good stuff. And so the time was just really to focus and hone in on playing some higher-level tournaments and getting competition under my belt before college. Okay, so fast forward to there. You said you were enamored by the mountains and the school, and you had Lisa as your coach, correct? Yes, it was technically under Chase Hodges was the head coach, and Lisa was the assistant at that time when I first started. Okay. So you arrived on campus. Your first year, your freshman year, you had that year off to kind of mature in a coaching sense and a player sense and just, Uh, I guess, a sense just in general for yourself, a personal sense. So you arrive on campus, you know, you're getting ready to go. What was that first year like as a student athlete and a tennis player? It was very intense for me because I started in the spring semester. So I arrived in January, and tennis is a spring sport, so I kind of did miss the the fall tournament competition and team building and stuff like that. So literally once I got here, it was like jump or got there. It was, you know, kind of jumping in feet first into academics, but also, you know, the competitive season. I think 
you know, our first matches started right off in February and went all through the spring. So it was a, um, it was a huge transition period. Like I think it is for anybody, but I was really grateful to have the support of the team and the coaches and, um, it went really well. That's good. And, and kind of tell us about that first season. How did you end up doing? What was that transition like having gone to school in January and then having had your first match about a month later and then playing that whole season up to the summer? Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, it was, it was exciting. And I just remember the first match being an absolute nervous wreck because you know I felt like all the pressure was on me even though it wasn't we were a team out there and I played um I played I think it was line six singles that first match and so consequently the men's team and the women's team were there and they didn't have enough courts to put us all on so you know as one match would finish the next one would start and with me being the you know the line six in the lineup I was the last one on and therefore the last one off and you know everybody was watching and so my nerves were all over the place and I just remember you know halfway through that match you know kind of settling in a little bit and feeling all the support of my teammates and the coaches and um, I'm just so grateful that it went that way and it was able you know it really catapulted me into a season where um I was able to perform and play and, you know, just have the community behind me. So let's talk about that a little bit more. You you mentioned the community. Now, what mm-hmm. did you look at as the community? Because that's something that we really value and something that we're trying to connect with more in Asheville is the community. So tell me what the community means to you and, and who was that? Who was the community for you? I think in that initial year, it, I was pretty narrow-minded in thinking about that, and I don't think I've used the word community back then, but um, just the team sense that we had or that they had built at that point. Um, you know, tennis and uh, every every aspect of it, you know, I was – kind of 100% in, that was my social life, that was obviously the athletics, and, you know, school was very important, but I was definitely connecting more with my teammates and coaches and spending a lot of time with that. I think otherwise I might have, you know, kind of taken a backseat even in the classroom as far as not feeling, um, you know, confident. I was a freshman, and first time away from home and all that good stuff. So, you know, it just became really important to me to kind of reestablish that sense of, um, you know, family a little bit. So quick little tangent. So tell us where home is for you. I grew up in Marietta, Georgia, which is just north of Atlanta by about 20, 30 minutes. Okay. And did you live there your whole life before you came up to Asheville? I did. Okay. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about the athletics part, and we'll definitely get back to that. Talk to me about the academic side as well. I know you mentioned, which this is an issue that a lot of athletes have, is, you know, their 
athletic performance can affect their academic performance. And I know you just said, you know, if my athletics performance struggled and I didn't have that community behind me, it probably would have affected the academic side of school. So tell me, you know, tell us about our audience, about what your major was and how your experience was academically in Asheville. My major was literature, and I came in pretty sold on that. Um, I really wanted a liberal arts education, and that was another um, selling factor that brought me to UNC Asheville. And um, not to jump too far forward, but (laughs) I did end up in my sophomore year getting a back injury that pulled me off the court and... um, I kind of lost, and the team was in a spot of transition. We had some coaching changes that took a couple years before Lisa came back, and um, I did kind of lose that sense of community (laughs) a little bit with all of a sudden not being able to play and compete, and, you know, and it did affect me academically. I I don't want to say I, you know, dove too far into some sort of a depression, but it was kind of like that because I had, you know, purely identified myself as a tennis player, as a competitor, and all of a sudden I didn't have that. Um, I still had the team and all that good stuff, but I wasn't able to physically feel like I was contributing and also, you know, going from training all the time to not being able to exercise at that level, um, it really did play into um, kind of my whole sophomore year experience until I was able to get back out on the court my junior year, I believe it was. And that's that's really important, and I can attest to that. I ended up uh, having to have major surgery on my elbow my sophomore year and had to sit out that year and struggled with it as well. And I know, and you may know other athletes as well well, that struggled with that. And I think that's something important to recognize that there's nothing wrong with it. And that is something that happens, and you need that community behind you. Uh, It it makes a big difference. So I'm happy you mentioned that because that is something that a lot of people go through. And, you know, you said you came back that junior year, Tell us about the rest of your college career. You know, you don't have to, to go into super detail if you don't want to, but tell us a little bit about that, that junior and senior year, athletically and academically, and, and where you saw yourself going once graduation was coming upon you. Um, well, I actually didn't play all four years because of that back injury. Okay. Um, I ended up, I did play my junior year, but the injury kind of kept coming back, and um, the doctors were basically told me that I could continue playing, but I would also just continue hurting myself. I wasn't going to do necessarily long-term damage, but, mm-hmm. you know, I was essentially going to, you know, keep ending up on their table um, with the uh, kind of what was going on with some nerve issues in my back that they were saying were stemming from, like, the long-term lateral pounding on the court. So the nerves were okay. kind of pushing their way um, in the wrong direction, and they could fix it. But, you know, for me to just turn around and 
you know, recover and get back out on the court and then get back to peak performance only for, you know, a few weeks to go by and the pain would start to come back. And so it was just came became clear that the cycle was going to continue to perpetuate itself. Um, thankfully, though, I, you know, was able to I stayed close to my teammates in my junior and senior year. And um, I think having the injury so early in college actually helped me so that I could kind of transition and focus more on my academics and um, find more of that balance. I think a lot of student athletes, even ones that don't um, have to struggle with a big injury like that, you know, they kind of find themselves after college or after that last season of competition, you know, in that same state of like, well, now what? You know, <laughs> like yeah. it's almost like that identity is stripped away. Like you're, you've you've done it. Like you've completed the goal. You know, <laughs> um, and I think that happens several points in life in general. So I'm so grateful that it was able to happen you know, early on and allow me to focus a little bit more. Um, As I transitioned out of school, I really did not have a clear direction on what I wanted to do professionally. Um, And so I knew I wanted to travel and kind of experience the world a little bit more before I jumped into, you know, I was thinking about grad school, I was thinking Mm -hmm. about you know, career stuff, but at the same time, I wasn't quite ready to commit to, you know, whatever that next stage would look like. I felt like I needed to have um, more experiences after I, you know, kind of had to hang up the rackets. That's when I I got into hiking and enjoying the mountains a little bit more and trying to find activity, you know, through other, other avenues. And that was really, really important for me um, and still is to this day. <laughs> yeah. No, it, uh, you know, I know you mentioned identity and, and athletic identity is is a good thing and it can be a struggle for some former student athletes as well because they just identify with themselves athletically. But okay. I want to segue into a piece that sounds like <clears throat> we're going to go to the next part of our conversation here. You mentioned hiking. And mm-hmm. athletic identity and being active. And it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, being active as a tennis player, that helped pull into your life after college, after you got your degree. And I'd love for you to kind of tell me a little bit about what you did after that and then now. And I, you know, I don't want to say it because I want you to talk about what you're doing now and the impact that you are making and just really go in depth with that. So tell us a little bit from, you graduated, what happened, and then the incredible work that you're doing now. All right. I graduated in 2009, and the day after graduation, my roommate and I jumped in the car and drove out to Colorado and decided we were going to just experience the Rockies. We had gotten, you know, the love of the mountains and our bones being in Asheville, and we wanted a new experience, and um, the goal at that point was just to spend the summer out there, and I ended up staying for almost four years. Wow. And, yeah, I was in Aspen, Colorado, and I was working in the service industry 
at that point. Um, and I was, I, I actually found myself bartending at the Aspen Golf and Tennis Court, which mm-hmm. again was another little kind of nugget of saving grace. So I still had tennis around me and I was playing a little bit, but just for fun, I was rediscovering okay. the sport a little bit and kind of realizing, you know, I could still do this, just not quite at, you know, <laughs> division one level yeah. um, of training and competition. Um, and so I just really continued to explore the mountains and then I started to get into a little bit of trail running and hiking and I was reading all these books about backpacking and long distance hikes and you know that's when I kind of started to learn about what long distance backpacking was um and it really piqued my interest so then enter my obsession with the Appalachian Trail, which is <laughs> yeah. um, a really long hike that goes from Georgia to Maine, and it's just a, it's almost 2,200 miles. And um, I read everything I possibly could about it. And during the end of my time in Aspen, um, I kind of did a similar thing where I just kind of packed up my car and drove back to Atlanta, realizing that chapter of my life was done. And I had um, three ideas of things that I wanted to do. And one of them was hike the Appalachian Trail. The other one was to spend a summer in Alaska. And the third one was to become a massage therapist. Um, massage therapy was something that I discovered in my time at UNCA going through rehab and different um, physical therapy and different healing modalities and it kind of always piqued my my interest um, and it was something that I wanted to explore more but when I left Aspen in 2013 I was not necessarily in the um, best headspace <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I got to Georgia and went to REI and bought all the backpacking gear that <laughs> I thought that I needed to through hike the Appalachian Trail. And like the next week I started. <laughs> and wow. yeah, and five days later I was on the phone calling home in the middle of the mountains and I was cold and I was wet and I was miserable and I was feeling like just completely defeated, to say the least. Um, the task before me just seemed so insurmountable, and I realized that I really wasn't mentally or physically even ready to take on such an undertaking. And, you know, when I got back home, it was, you know, I started to have a lot of um, regret and even resentment. I thought I had blown my only chance to through hike the trail um and I started another job in hospitality and later that year I enrolled in massage school at Atlanta School of Massage and so I became a massage therapist and did that line of work off and on for the next three years and yeah, it was great. It really helped connect me 
you know, back into my body. I think as athletes, especially once you get to a higher level, like you really do have that mind-body connection um, that is so important in order to make everything, you know, happen out on the field or on the court to be at your peak performance. So in a way, I was kind of stepping back into that part of myself that I kind of had lost a bit when I was out in Colorado, even though I was exploring and doing, you know, a bunch of hiking and running and stuff like that, but I wasn't able to kind of get the mental piece back into it. Um, And curiously, that first two years that I was back in Atlanta, I really started to get back into tennis and just play, um, you know, recreationally at the at the local level and, you know, kind of relearn that, you know, tennis is fun and <laughs> it's something that I can still do and I can still be very passionate about. Um, so for basically those three years from 2014 to this past spring, I was switching between doing massage therapy and living in Atlanta to spending my summers working up in Alaska. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And my first summer in Alaska, I was the general manager at Denali National Park. And if you don't know anything about the park, basically – it's in the middle of nowhere and you're four hours away. Like the resort that I was working at was four hours away from the closest gas station. Wow. Like we were in the back country. <laughs> um, and that really kind of reignited my love for hiking and backpacking. And I started thinking about the AP again and wondering, you know, did I really blow it? Can I, like, maybe I can do it now. Like, I've learned so much more about myself. I'm, you know, mentally in a better place. I'm physically in a better place. And the bug kind of came back and hit me. But then I was also, you know, very scared and nervous. And what if I fail a second time sort of thing? Um, One thing to note about the AT is that, Depending on the different statistics that you can look at, they say um, out of all the people that attempt a through hike every year, only 20 to 25% of people are actually able to be successful. So, you know, I was all like, the odds are stacked against me and all this stuff. And um, it wasn't until, let's see, it would be 2017 in November I was visiting a friend in Asheville, and we decided to go on an overnight backpacking trip um, on the Appalachian Trail. And that morning, I woke up, and there was a beautiful sunrise, and something just really hit me and filled me that was, you know, I'm hiking the AT next year, and all that doubt kind of dissipated. It was one of those kind of a serendipitous moment where you just have this, like, deep understanding of, like, I don't really have an option to do this. Like, my soul is kind of telling me, like, hey, this is what you have to do now. (laughs) 
But with that came, you know, all the energy and all the excitement. I didn't know how I was going to be able to afford to hike the AT. It's an expensive endeavor, and you have to figure out how to not have any income for at least six months. Um, so I really didn't know, you know, how I would be able to pull it off. I just knew that somehow I was going to pull it off. And I came back from that trip and I just started telling everybody I talked to, like, I'm through hiking the 18 next year. And people would ask me all these questions of how and why and all that. And I really had no answer other than, I don't know, but it's going to happen. (laughs) And um, I started to get this idea in that for to start a backpacking company. Okay. Um, so fast forward, I did complete my thru-hike of the Appalachian Trail, and this idea of a backpacking company is now actually coming into existence, and it's called One Step Backpacking Excursions. And it's um, it's focused on getting women and teen girls out into the wilderness setting to help them learn how to be um, more comfortable and more empowered out there on their own. Um, and there's also going to be a huge aspect of you know kind of looking inwards and the at the healing and restorative aspects of nature and how we can find that through community with those out there and also, you know, personal leadership and growth and all of that good stuff. I'm sure I missed something in in my explanation there, so feel free to (laughs) (laughs) um, ask questions. No, that's exactly what I wanted you to get to you. And and that was the reason we wanted you on the podcast today, because you're making a difference and you're staying within the community. You know, I mean, these mountains run through North Carolina. And like you said, Mm -hmm. this really came about when you came to Asheville to see your friend again and do that, that small hike. And you had that moment of clarity. You had that Mm -hmm. opportunity to just kind of be within yourself and you want to be able to give that empowerment and that moment of clarity and that experience to other women and young girls. And we think that's absolutely incredible. And that is one of the reasons that I wanted to reach out to you so you could talk about that mission and what you're trying to create. So you've told us about that. And I want to end this on a kind of a deep note, you know, a, a moment of clarity. And I'd, I'd love you to take a second And for all of our listeners and the audience out there in the Asheville community and wherever people are listening from, I want you to tell us something that helped you. Tell us about that moment of clarity, just a sentence or two. Uh, You can call it a quote. You can call it anything you want. But even if it was something that came into your head that really helped you pull that moment of clarity out and turn it into something special, what was it? What was it that that set you to this next point in your life and made you made you want to make a difference? That's a hard question. <laughs> I know. It's okay. Um, take, you can take a second if you need to. Absolutely. Um, 
I think it came with the realization and understanding of, you know, no part of my journey have I done it alone. I've always had um, a wide community of support and most of, I think every person goes through some sort of a healing journey when they're here in this life. And it's an ongoing thing, right? Like constantly throughout our, you know, every day, whether we kind of realize what's going on or not. And I saw that a lot on the trail this summer is just realizing that every single person out there was giving um, everything they had to the task, but there was also, they were receiving so much as well. The Appalachian Trail community and the surrounding towns is um, just, it's so much more vast than I can even explain. And I realized that, you know, women out there on the trail in general are very much still outnumbered and, you know, people would always ask me if I was scared or, you know, to be alone or, you know, why did I want to be alone? And it's not that I was ever really alone because there were other people out there with me, but it was just like, I don't want people to, you know, I want them to be able to have these same experiences of, you know, the joy and the kind of adrenaline that the mountains can offer and um, just all those different aspects. So it was like, how can we make it more attainable and feasible and tangible for um, a different population that's traditionally, you know, not been associated with, you know, trekking in the wilderness on their own. Um, I'm not sure if I've really answered your question there. (laughs) You did. You did. Okay. You know, you – you mentioned that kind of your moment of clarity or, or when you really figured out what you wanted to do, those pieces are your vision and kind of the pieces of your mission statement of why you've created One Step and why you want to empower these women and these young girls. And we're proud of you for that. And I, I want to... Thank you for coming on our podcast. And, you know, just to reiterate to everyone listening, uh, this is Rachel Poole. She is a former women's tennis player, and she's been through a lot, and she's wanting to make a difference in our community, so make sure you're on the lookout for one-step backpacking. Did I say that correct, Kate? Did I, did yes. I say that? Okay, <laughs> perfect. And uh, and please keep listening to our podcast for more stories like Rachel's. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with us and tell us your story and about the difference you're trying to make in our community. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You have just listened to Bulldogs Over Coffee. Make sure to follow our social media for the most up-to-date information about our sports teams. You can buy season tickets by calling 828 828- Two five eight seven nine zero zero. We need your support to strengthen the UNC Asheville Bulldogs each and every year. To make a difference in the lives of our student athletes, you can call the Bulldog Athletic Association and me specifically, Dan Freeman, at 828-258-7752. 
If you'd like to sponsor an event that makes a difference for a group of student athletes, please call Betsy Blose at 828-251-6907.